All right, um, we're in the Song of Songs tonight, y'all. So why don't you flip open to there? Uh, uh, are y'all are y'all familiar with this book of the Bible? Some people call it the Song of Solomon. That's how you find it typically in the English translations. Botanicals is another way that you might know it. The Song of Songs. What's it about? Does anybody know? Anybody want to take a stab at it? It is. It is about love. You're right, Mike. It's a book about love. It's a love song. The Song of Songs. Y'all flip open there with me. We'll look at the first verse before we pray, and I'll give you a little bit of front matters on who wrote this and if we can know who wrote this, really. So typically and traditionally within past years, modern evangelicalism, there's been a thrust from this first verse of chapter 1, the Song of Songs, which is Solomon's, to say that Solomon, that is King Solomon, the son of David, wrote this love song, this book of the Bible. You can hold to that interpretation if you so desire. That is not the interpretation that I hold to, and it will affect everything that I say tonight and your handy-dandy handout. And so it is good for you to know this going into it, that I am looking at it in a particular way. And the reason why I'm looking at it in this particular way is, I usually don't talk about this, the Hebrew. Now, in the book of Psalms, you might be familiar with some of the headings. Uh, for instance, something might say, of David, or of Asaph, or of Solomon, or of Moses. Uh, this is not that heading, the Song of, Sol uh, Song of Songs, which is Solomon's. That's a different phrase. It's not of Solomon. Uh, really, I think a much better way to look at this would be the Song of Songs, which has been given or uh, unto, instead of the word which, uh, unto Solomon. Uh, in other words, as Solomon is collecting these proverbs and these songs, perhaps an anonymous writer wrote it, perhaps for Solomon. Perhaps Solomon just saw it, and it was in the time of Solomon, and he recognized it for what it is because he was the world's wisest man, after all. And so he took it into the corpus that he had already been compiling of his thousands of proverbs and thousands of songs and things like that. Again, you can take different interpretations. This is the interpretation that I take. That Solomon did not write this song. In, in fact, uh, Solomon actually uh, holds a bit of a, uh, a bad example within the book when we see and we'll go through it. Uh, you'll notice that he's not presented well. In fact, he's presented as that which you should not choose. You should choose something different than him in a husband. And if Solomon were to write this, which he very well could have, uh, he is a, he's not writing well of himself. And that's something that we'll need to take into account. Another thing as well that I take into this uh, uh, moment of interpretation is that Solomon if you didn't know, had 500 wives and 500 concubines. And that's a lot of women. And this song is about one woman and about one man. It's actually holding to the biblical conception of marriage that we see throughout the entirety of Scripture. Again, 
Just because you're bad at something doesn't mean that you can't write well to it. However, it does not lend credence then uh, in my book to uh, just an assumption that King Solomon wrote this. Again, if we want to go that route, we can. That's not the route that I take. I don't believe the Bible says that Solomon wrote it, uh, it which is Solomon's doesn't say Solomon wrote it. It means that it, it belonged to Solomon, who was the king. Somebody gave it to him or he took it. That's my interpretation. I'm sticking with it. Uh, other men like Sinclair Ferguson, for instance, uh, takes the same path uh, as well as a couple commentators that are in our denomination, Ian Duguid. I believe he writes our... Uh, does he do the ARP quarterly now? Does anybody know? He does the Old Testament stuff. He takes this interpretation that you'll hear from me tonight. Uh, so there are more men than just me uh, who will go down this path with you. Let's pray, and we'll talk about this song of songs as opposed to the song that is about Solomon. Heavenly Father, Lord, I pray, as we look at this love song, as we look to see what you have revealed to us regarding uh, romantic love, uh, regarding uh, sexual desire and intimacy, Lord, I pray that we might see what all of this is about, uh, which is not of this world, uh, Father, but of the next, Jesus Christ and the gospel that we receive. And so, Lord, I pray in Jesus' name, amen. That's my daughter, by the way. <laughs> She's too young for the Song of Songs, right? Uh, she wanted to come in, I guess, maybe and listen, but... Okay, so we're in, we're in the Song of Songs, and if you have your hand, does everyone have a handy-dandy handout? It's, it's important for us tonight because we're going to be using it especially as we move through this. Here's the theme that we find on the handout. There is more to and reason for love, marriage, and intimacy, namely revelation of Jesus Christ's love for his people. Uh, the context, I talk a little bit more about the... Uh, assumption of Solomonic authorship, and so you can read that and see some of my written thoughts if you're still kind of hung up on that, uh, and then you'll see connection, and that's, a, that's actually a very good moment. As we're looking at wisdom literature, how the rest of Scripture begins to inform uh, other pieces of Scripture, uh, particularly for us tonight in the wisdom literature, the Song of Solomon uh, you know, the word Jesus isn't mentioned. God is mentioned. And so we have a, a framework that we're going to be able to work through. But, you know, we don't have messianic prophecy or something like that. And so how is this about the gospel? Well, what is marriage? It's a mystery. It's a profound mystery. But I'm telling you, it's about Christ and the church. That's what Paul said in Ephesians 5, right? He quotes Genesis chapter 2. We see there alluded the things that Jesus spoke of regarding marriage. And all of these things begin to play out as we open up this love song. And that's the first thing that we need to talk about. Uh, if you look at the remember the new, uh, the new header that's going to help us as we kind of try to march through these things. Remember, the Song of Songs is a song, all right? That's the first thing we need to talk about. It's a song. This is not prophecy. This is not narrative. This is not uh, um, uh, any of these other genres. It's literally a song. Sinclair Ferguson, I mentioned him earlier, he has a wonderful sermon on this whole book. He did it at an evening uh, an evening service at First Pres when he was still here, and it was an hour, it was a 61-minute sermon 
And so there were still other pieces to the service, and he, he introduced it that way. He said, listen, y'all, we're going all the way through it tonight. Uh, and then he began to just preach through the whole thing. It's incredible. You should Google it because it's online. Uh, he'll do a be- much better job than what I'll do tonight. But uh, he, he does a great job introducing it as a song. And he says, you know, for us, it's, it definitely wasn't this. But for our conception, a good illustration, it's like an opera, right? Uh, when you go to the opera, you know a story's about to happen. You're going for the music, right? You love to hear the voices and stuff. But within the opera, there's music and a story there's usually these different parts that play and these different singers are singing them sometimes there's a group playing and that's what you'll begin to see in the song of songs as we play through you're going to see these parts and that's how i have listed it here if you look on the solid rock verses on the back part there are these parts to this song it's one song that verse one The Song of Songs, it's like saying the Holy of Holies. In Hebrew, if you wanted to say something super cool or something's very good, you repeat it. The Song of Songs, that means the most excellent song. The Holy of Holies, that means the most holy place. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. If you say it three times, you know that it is very serious. So then when we see holy, 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 we know that there is none holier than our God, for he is holy, holy, and then he is even more holy. You know, it, it, they don't have est, you know, er and est to, for us to kind of keep going most holy. You know, they, they don't have that uh, in the Hebrew. They have repetition. And so the Song of Songs, the most beautiful song, it's one, it's one song, but it has these wonderful parts, this flow to the story, and we'll see that as we move through. It's a song, and it has poetic language. Uh, do y'all have pet names? Some of y'all that are married in here? You don't have to say them out loud if it's embarrassing. I, I use darling. I call Rebecca darling all the time. Hey, darling, what you doing? Uh, sometimes I say darling. Uh, hey, darling. But it's weird, right? If, you, if I was just saying that right now and I didn't ex- say what I was talking about, you'd be like, what is he doing? Right? Do y'all have these kind of names that you would kind of only use in private? You know? You're not going to just kind of walk around, hey, cupcake. I mean, you know, but, but that, might, that might actually be okay, you know, within your relationship. You know what I mean? Uh, there are these moments, you know. Uh, I know, uh, I don't know if my father-in-law will ever listen to this podcast, and I don't know if Rebecca will either, so I know that none of y'all will say what I'm about to say again, so I will never get in trouble for this. But, you know, sometimes my father-in-law, an elder in the ARP church, calls his wife Pookie Bear. Hey, Pookie Bear. I always remember that one. I think that's a good one. I like it, you know? Hey, Pookie Bear. And so, you know, you got these. But if I just came up and I said, greetings, Pookie Bears. Whoa. I mean, that's like, you know. And so that's what we need to kind of bring into this love song is that it's a love song. And so there are very particular pieces of language. Everybody knows them, right? Your teeth are like a flock of ewes, even twins, bearing twins. They're so white. Their wool is white. Talking about how white her teeth is. Your neck is like the towers, trees of Lebanon. You know, this like long neck. No, that's not what he's talking about. He's talking about the pureness of, you know, he, he's using these very intense, right, uh, metaphors and imagery. But it's a love song. It should be like that. It should feel corny a little bit if we were to use kind of our modern rhetoric. But 
that lends itself to a couple problems. It's sometimes and many times in this book difficult to interpret what exactly is happening and who's speaking and how we're moving through the story. You'll notice in your English translations, and if you've got the ESV Bibles especially, uh, these she, uh, uh, it's all bolded, you she, others, and he. Those are the three characters. You've got this shepherdess. Uh, she doesn't have a name. It's the, the bride. And then you've got the groom, who is the he. And then you've got these others, who are kind of, you know, the crowd just kind of shouting, maybe, maybe it's some women over here who are her friends. Maybe it's just the daughters of Jerusalem. But you've got these others. That's how the ESV, uh, the translation we're using, signifies them. So you've got these characters to the opera, maybe if you wanted to use that illustration, to this song, who are singing these parts, who are telling this story as we move through, who are using particular language as we are looking at this story. And... Having said that, then, we know that the Song of Songs is a song with poetic language. The next part in the Remember heading is that this reveals the biblical conception of romantic love. If you're unfamiliar with the Song of Songs, it's explicitly sexual. Uh, it's, it is uh, a by and far the most sexual book that you will find in the Bible, and it is incredibly so. Uh, it, it is one that takes intense wisdom to enter into. It's not explicit to the point of uh, X rating or anything like that. I believe that God in his providence and sovereignty uh, revealed explicitness in the most beautiful way possible. Uh, but it is still there. And so as we, as we enter in, as we enter in and we are looking at this, it's going to be quite obvious what we're talking about. There's no need to beat around the bush. We're talking about sex the majority of the time or the desire for such things. It's there. But what's wonderful about this song, this song of songs, this most beautiful of songs, in other words, is that within this desire, within this intimacy, within this marriage, by the way, that we'll see, there begins to be revealed the reality of why these things are good. There begins to be revealed something beyond such things, something that this intimacy and that this relationship is revealing. Jesus and the church. Y'all hear that? That's a big old rat. Just kidding. I think those are kids. Um, so, <laughs> I hope those are kids. That'd be, a, that'd be a pretty big rodent. So uh, this, this reality that we're about to walk through a story that is revealing intimacy, that is revealing the conception of romantic love that we need to grasp onto, single uh, uh, or married or dating or anywhere in between. This is, this is what the Bible has for us. It's a beautiful book. And that's why I believe God placed it uh, here, within the wisdom literature, why do we need this book? What is God telling us? God is revealing Jesus as he always does, because that's what Jesus said the Bible is about. But as we move through, we see that God is revealed then in our relationships, a relationship that, by the way, has been broken sexually since the very first people. Adam and Eve, when they fell, what did they do? It wasn't sexual sin that caused them to fall was pride and disbelief going against their God. What did they do? The very first thing, they hid themselves because they realized they were naked. This 
is a song meant to reveal that we need not be naked within our relationship, or that we uh, need not be clothed, rather, within our relationships, that we can bear our souls, as it were, utter intimacy within a, rela- a relationship that then, as we see in Ephesians 5, reveals Jesus in the church. It's beautiful. It's a song meant to reveal love in a beautiful form and, in fact, with all the bumps and bruises that come along with marriage. We'll see this as we walk through. This is how we're going to do it tonight. I'm just going to zoom through the story, but remember, this is what this uh, survey is for. I hope then that as I zoom through the story, as I've given a bit of this introduction, that y'all will be able to open this book up with more confidence and with more understanding, uh, with an interpretation that you can kind of see the reality of what's being laid out in the text itself. It's a love story with a story. And with this handout, as you open it up, you'll be able to flow with the story rather than kind of reading these uh, pieces of the text. You know, if you were to just open up to chapter 1, verse 5, I am very dark, but lovely, O daughters of Jerusalem, like the tents of Kedar, like the curtains of Solomon. Do not gaze at me because I am dark, because the sun has looked upon me. You know, what do we do? You know, where, where are we at? You know, what does this mean? You know, it means that she's working, by the way. Doesn't mean that she's black. It means that she's working. She's very tan. She's got a farmer's tan. Uh, that's what that means. Uh, she's a shepherdess. That's revealing something there. But she's a shepherdess of much beauty, and we see that in this text. And so uh, let's move through this, and it'll help us. And so the first thing that I want to look at, we'll come back to uh, uh, this top section that says, "What kind of love is this? When is intimacy appropriate?" We'll come back to that. Let's just march through the text really quick. And we'll start with part one. Uh, This is chapter one, verse one, through chapter two, verse seven. And this is, you'll love, I hope you'll love it, my scenes within the opera, my my scenes within this love song. Uh, Part one, enter love. This is when love is budding between two individuals, uh, this shepherdess and this shepherd, this man and this woman. Uh, They begin to see one another, and they begin to love one another, and they begin to desire one another. We get the woman, uh, uh, after this introduction, this Song of Songs, which is of Solomon, uh, which is uh, for or unto Solomon. Verse 2, this is where we enter the song. This is where the, the music kicks in. This is the first thing she says. Let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth. That's verse 2. We get the man's reply. Chapter 1, verse 9. I compare you, my love, to a mare among Pharaoh's chariots. Now, uh, remember, this is a love song. So don't go and call your wife a mare uh, unless that's just your pet name. But be careful with that one, guys. But uh, this reality, well, Pharaoh had the best of mares. And not only did Pharaoh have the best of mares, when, when she's among these chariots, these clunky, wooden, rolling, mechanic, gangly things, you have this wonderful, gracious, flowing mare going before with strength and power and grace, you see. And so it's poetic language, it's love language. And he says, I compare you, my love, to a mare among Pharaoh's chariots. Your cheeks are lovely with ornaments, your neck with strings of gold. Enter love. The man sees the woman, the woman sees the man, and they begin to desire each other. They love one another. And that's part two. Love 
is in the air. That's Song of Songs, chapter 2, verse 8, through chapter 3, verse 5. Chapter 2, verse 8, through 3, verse 5. And this is, this is the woman she's speaking. And again, if you wanted to kind of follow that, you can see it as you're looking in your Bibles, I hope. He, she, other. In chapter 2, we get this, uh, this she passage that we then kind of have this long song, as it were, this long uh, um, uh, solo from her and a good example of this love being in the air is chapter 2 verse 16 my beloved is mine and I am his he grazes among the lilies until the day breathes and the shadows flee turn my beloved be like a gazelle or a young stag on cleft mountains she's saying yes this is it I have found love. And she, of course, is singing for the man as well. If you look at verse 10, my beloved speaks and says to me, this is verse 10 of chapter 2. This is the man speaking, but she is singing. Arise, my love, my beautiful one, and come away. For behold, the winter is past. What does that mean? It means the flowers are appearing on the earth. Verse 12, it means spring is in the air, right? Spring love. Love is in the air. That's part two. Love entered. They saw one another, and they desired and loved one another. That's part one and two. Part three, love choosing. Now, this is the part that uh, will have the most interpretation difference uh, for those of you uh, who would want to kind of subscribe and continue to subscribe to Solomon writing uh, this book of the Bible. Uh, And this is where it really begins to show, I think, that this is an anonymous author. Uh, that this is not Solomon, because uh, Solomon is presented in a way, uh, and there's a choice to be made, and Solomon is not chosen. So if Solomon's writing it, he's putting himself into a uh, kind of a, not really an anti-hero, not really a villain, it's not like that. You could see some serious sin there, sexual exploitation and things like that, but uh, it's just, he's not the hero. The shepherd is, the unnamed shepherd the love of the woman who was singing. So part three, love choosing, chapter three, verse six, through chapter five, verse one. Now, if you notice on your handout, there's a choice to be made between the love of Solomon and the love of her beloved. And now this you see here is the false love of Solomon and the true love of her beloved. Let's just read this text where uh, this kind of, Solomonic entrance is spoken of, starting with verse 6. What is that coming up from the wilderness, like columns of smoke perfumed with myrrh and frankincense, with all the fragrant powders of a merchant? Behold, it is the litter of Solomon. Around it are sixty mighty men, some of the mighty men of Israel, all of them wearing swords and expert in war, each with his sword at his thigh. Against terror by night, King Solomon made himself a carriage from the wood of Lebanon. He made its posts of silver, its back of gold, its seat of purple, its interior with inla- uh, was inlaid with love by the daughters of Jerusalem. Go out, O daughters of Zion, and look upon King Solomon with the crown with which his mother crowned him on the day of his wedding on the day of the gladness of his heart. How many women were mentioned in that little section? Did y'all hear it? It's not rhetorical. Who was mentioned? What women were mentioned in that? 
Say what? No. Uh, <laughs> it, it will turn into that kind of thing, though. They're the daughters of Zion who are called to cry out. Likewise, the daughters of Jerusalem who are implied to have laid upon his bed and a mother. Who's missing? The bride. Solomon, in all his pomp and glory, is revealed. Solomon the king, coming to take another wife or another concubine. He's laid out many daughters of Jerusalem upon his bed of Lebanon. He has great pomp. He has a crown given to him by his mother. The bride doesn't matter. (coughs) Chapter 4, verse 1. This is he speaking. This is someone else speaking. Behold, you are beautiful, my love. Behold, you are beautiful. Your eyes are doves behind your veil. Your hair is like a flock of goats. Leaping down the slopes of Gilead, your teeth are like a flock of shorn ewes that have come up from the washing, all of which bear twins, and not one among them has lost its young. Your lips are like a scarlet thread, and your mouth is lovely. And he goes on. There is a comparison to be made, a false love of Solomon that focuses only on Solomon. And then a gender change happens, and a man begins to speak. I do not believe it is Solomon. Solomon does not speak like this to the wives and to the concubines uh, that he was to marry. For political gain, by the way. Why did he marry the wife from Egypt? To make a treaty. Why did people come to offer their daughter and why did he accept? A thousand pieces of silver. We see this attested for all throughout scripture. And so we see here a comparison. The love, false love of Solomon or the love, the true love of her beloved. It's a love song, and this is a moment of choice for the relationship. Solomon has entered, as it were. It's a song, after all, and we'll see that more. And we'll see another comparison with Solomon that I hope will help uh, 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 reveal what it is that I'm trying to say. But we see the consummation that comes uh, after the true love of her beloved is revealed. So he's speaking all of this, and then in verse 16, what does he say? Awake, O north wind, and come, O south wind. Blow upon my garden and let its spices flow. This is what he's saying. Come, let us be married. That's what he's saying. How did you get married then? You consummated the marriage. And what happens next? We see she speaking. Uh, it's that she isn't in the Bible, but it changes from a male, uh, kind of a he said, to a female. It would say she said. That's simplifying. But you would be able to see it in the language. What does she say? Let my beloved come to his garden and eat its choicest fruits. The marriage has happened. The marriage has been consummated. In other words, they have had sex. They are married now. There was a choice to be made. And the beloved was chosen. So now we go on to part four. This is a honeymoon phase, right? Uh, They just got married. No, the transition is to love on the rocks. Difficulty comes to the marriage. Let's see it. Uh, uh, Chapter 5, verse 2, through chapter 6, verse 3. Love on the rocks. We'll just read the first three verses because that tells it all. I came to my garden. This is the husband speaking. My sister, my bride, I gathered my myrrh with my spice. I ate my honeycomb with my honey. I drank my wine with my milk. Uh, And then the others say, eat, friends, drink, and be drunk with love. I slept 
Here's the woman speaking. I slept, but my heart was awake. A sound. My beloved is knocking. Open to me. This is what the husband is saying. Open to me, my sister, my love, my dove, my perfect one, for my head is wet with dew, my locks with the drops of the night. In other words, he wants to be intimate. I had put off my garment. How could I put it on? That's what she said. I had bathed my feet. How could I soil them? My beloved put his hand to the latch. She's speaking of her husband. My heart was thrilled within me. In other words, what's happening here is a bit of tension. Her husband's on the outside looking in, desirous to come to her. She exhibits some desire for him to come in. She is unwilling to come and open the door. Hand on the latch, about to open, and he lets it go. And he walks away. Verse 5. I arose to open to my beloved, and my hands dripped with myrrh, my fingers with liquid myrrh on the handles of the bolt. I opened to my beloved, but my beloved had turned and gone. My soul failed me when he spoke. I sought him, but found him not. I called him, but he gave no answer. The watchmen found me as they went about in the city. They beat me and they bruised me. Now remember, this is a song. The watchmen didn't beat this woman and bruise her for being out searching for her husband. Uh, this is a song. It's revealing of something. It would be like an extreme caricature moment where she's searching for her husband, a pure maiden, as it were, searching for her husband, her one husband. And the guards find her, and she perhaps is in her nightgown, right? And she's in her nightgown, and they say, what are you doing prostituting yourself, young lady? And they, then they, you know, uh, they beat her for it. You know, it's this moment in the song where you can see it play out in picture, right? As she's searching, and she cannot find because of this tension that had entered in. The husband was going to come in, and then he didn't, and they don't know where he's at. Love is on the rocks. Chapter 5, verse 16. This is what she says why she's looking for him because somebody asked her in verse 9 chapter 5 verse 9 what is your beloved more than any other beloved O most beautiful among women what is your beloved more than any other beloved that you thus adjure us because she's saying where is he where is he verse 16 she has this whole long song about it and then verse 16 she sums it up like this this is why my beloved is more than yours his mouth is most sweet he is altogether desirable. This is my beloved, and this is my friend, O daughters of Jerusalem. A huge point within the text because we see this love on the rocks, this tension happening. What does she say? He's altogether desirable. He is my friend. Tell me where he's at, right? And then we get love not on the rocks because she finds him. This is chapter 6, verse 4, through chapter 8, verse 4. And this is part 5, love not on the rocks. Chapter 6, verses 4 and 5. This is her finding him, and she says, finally, I found you. What's going to happen next? There was tension, a fight. Uh, 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 something happened that created a disconnect. She is searching. He isn't. And now they are together again. He made the first move. It didn't work. She makes the second move. And finally they are together. What is he going to say? Remember, he was coming in to seek to be intimate with her. And we see here, chapter 6, verse 4. You are beautiful as Terza, my love. Lovely as Jerusalem. Awesome as an army with banners. 
Turn away your eyes from me, for they overwhelm me. You know, in this first section, we can go through it all the way to verse 10. As they speak, he removes all sexually explicit language from his song. He was just glad to see her. It's there. Love is not on the rocks here. And so what happens next as love is not on the rocks? Chapter 7, verses 11 and 12. Come, my beloved, let us go out into the fields and lodge in the villages. Let us go out early to the vineyards. See whether the vines have budded, whether the grape blossoms have opened and the pomegranates are in bloom. There I will give you my love. Love is not on the rocks anymore. As this love story is playing out, this love song, boom, they meet one another and they fall in love. As they fall in love, love is in the air. As they prepare for their marriage, a choice happens, right? It's it's caricatured because it's a song. Solomon enters in all his grandiose pomp, but he's just got 60 men around him with swords and he's seeking to take her and then enter her love who has all eyes on her. Love is in the air, and it is chosen there in that moment and consummated. They are married. Then there's tension in the story, right? Love is on the rocks, but then they are reconciled. Love not on the rocks. This is all within the flow of marriage and relationship in this fallen world. There is immediate resonation, I hope, for all of us not only in intimate relationships like in marriage, but this also plays out in uh, plutonic relationships, friends and things like that, though it's most explicitly within the marriage relationship. Love not on the rocks. And then the right choice is explained in part six. It's a small part, chapter eight, verse five through chapter 14. The right choice. Triumphant love is displayed in uh, verses five through seven. This is uh, that text that everybody knows from the Song of Songs, right? Uh, Chapter 5. Who is that coming up from the wilderness leaning on her beloved? Under the apple tree I awakened you. There your mother was in labor with you. There she who bore you was in labor. And here it comes. Set me as a seal upon your heart. As a seal upon your arm. For love is strong as death. Jealousy is fierce as the grave. It flashes, its flashes are flashes of fire, the very flame of the Lord. Many waters cannot quench love, neither can floods drown it. If a man offered her love, here it comes, all the wealth of his house, he would be utterly despised. It's Solomon again, and you're going to see that as we move forward. So this is triumphant love displayed. The love between these two lovers, and then advice is asked for in verses 8 through 9. Hey, we've been following this story the whole time. This is the other people singing. We've been following this story the whole time. We've got a little sister. This little sister's not mature. Says it here, she has no breasts. She hasn't had puberty yet. We have this little sister. What would you say to her regarding love? That's the question they pose. Advice is asked for. And then we see something. We see the false love of Solomon advised against. And we see the true love between her and her beloved displayed. In other words, advocated for. This is what you want, what we have. So uh, chapter 8, verse 10. This is the woman speaking after the question is asked. Uh, The question being, what do we do with our little sister? 
What's this love thing all about? How can we advise her? She says, I was a wall. My breasts were like towers. Then I was in his eyes as one who finds peace. Shalom. Shalom is huge in the Old Testament, by the way. Utter peace. So she's saying that she found it. And then she gives the examples. Verse 11. Solomon had a vineyard at Baal Haman. He let out the vineyard to keepers. Each one was to bring for its fruit a thousand pieces of silver. Now, do y'all know where Baal Haman is? Neither do I. Can't find it in the scriptures. What does Baal Haman mean, though? What's within that word? It means the master of many. It means he had a lot of wives, a lot of vineyards. It's just not talking about grape fields. It's talking about his wives and his concubines. Solomon had a vineyard at Baal Haman. He was master of many. He let out the vineyard to keepers. Many people had to bring these women to him. He had a harem that's larger than Centennial. Each one was to bring for its fruit a thousand pieces of silver. Before they could even be there, they had to pay. And then she says, my vineyard, my very own, is before me. You, O Solomon, you may have the thousand and the keepers of the fruit, 200. She's saying, y'all keep it. Verse 13, this is what her husband says. Oh, you who dwell in the garden, speaking to his wife, with companions listening for your voice. In other words, I can't wait to see you. Let me hear it. He's listening for his wife, his one and his only, his beloved. And what does she say? Bring it on. I am here, I am hollering, make haste, my beloved. Be like a gazelle or a young stag on the mountain of spices. What is she saying? The mountain of spices is herself. She's saying, come give me a hug. Uh, maybe more than that, but we won't go there right here. And so we see that the right choice is made. She has asked for advice, and the advice is given. And it is altogether lovely. Now, we've still got a few minutes. Let me... Go back up. That's the whole story. That's the love song. You have it laid out. I encourage you, read through it to see if what I say is true. It flows and it is God's word. Use God's word and see if this indeed flows. And then there's a couple questions that can be answered for us. Uh, song of Songs, chapter 8, verses 6 and 7. That's set me as a seal upon your heart. Uh, uh, if you go up, I have a question next to it on the solid rock verses. And it says this, what kind of love is this? This love that's being exhibited, this intimate love, this relational love, this marriage love is something beyond death. It's something that conquers chaos. That's, by the way, flood and waters. When you see the word flood and waters in poetry in the Bible, it means chaos. It almost always means chaos. The storm raged around the disciples and they feared. And then what did Jesus do? Peace, be still. Who is this man who has control over nature, over chaos, right? The storm raged in the book of Jonah. Jonah says, throw me in. It is because of me. And what happens? The storm ceases. And what did the people on Jonah's boat do? They convert. They realized who God was. 
and is and continues to be. And so when we see that there, set me as a seal, you see many waters cannot quench love, neither can floods drown it. So you've got this flame and waters moment. And then within the song, since we're on water, floods can't even take this thing. The chaos can't take this thing. Nothing can take this thing. And then there's this negative at the end. If a man offered for love all the wealth of his house, give it all, he would be utterly despised. You know, pick up your cross and follow me, right? It's what Jesus said. What does he say after that? If a man were to gain the whole world and lose his soul, what in the world are we doing, right? Uh, this money, this wealth, it's nothing. There's something beyond that. That's what this wisdom literature, that's what this book on intimate love is revealing. It's Jesus Christ and the church. It's revealing that reality that Christ comes to save his people. And we see that within this love marriage, this choice that needed to be made. It's real. What kind of love is this? Now, uh, we see another thing too. And this is the last thing we'll say. And maybe we'll have time for a few uh, questions. That clock is a little fast. When, uh, when is intimacy appropriate, right? This is a book that is very intimate and at times very explicit. When is this intimacy appropriate? We see a marriage happen in chapter 5, verse 1. We see a consummation of the marriage quite explicitly in that same place. Was there any sex beforehand? There wasn't. You can look for it and try to find it. You'll never see it. Uh, there is definitely desire. There's definitely dreaming. There's definitely daydreaming. Look for it. When is intimacy appropriate? We see this as well in some of the texts that are used. Chapter 2, verse 7. By the way, if you'll notice, these uh, chapter 2, verse 7, chapter 3, verse 5, chapter 8, verse 4, chapter 5, verse 8, these all fall around these moments of transition within the songs. It's like a reminder every time. You get this transition. When is intimacy appropriate? Well, chapter 2, verse 4, oh, they meet one another and they love one another and they desire one another. And what does she say? I adjure you, O daughters of Jerusalem, by the gazelles or does of the field that you not stir up or awaken love until it pleases. It's not time yet. Chapter 3, verse 5. I adjure you, O daughters of Jerusalem, by the gazelles or the does of the field that you not stir up or awaken love until it pleases. It's not time yet. Love's in the air. I have made a choice, but it is not time yet. By the way, chapter 5, verse 8. This is, if you look in our text or in our parts, chapter 5, verse 8 falls in the love is on the rocks part of the song. But they are married, right? What does she say in chapter 5, verse 8, while she's looking for her husband? I adjure you, O daughters of Jerusalem, if you find my beloved, that you tell him I am sick with love. It's a different statement. But there's one more piece that happens. Chapter 8, verse 4, if you look within what section we're in, that's love not on the rocks. Things are getting steamy again. Chapter 8, verse 4, what does she say? I adjure you, O daughters of Jerusalem, that you not stir up or awaken love until it pleases. Why does she say it here? Within the story, they're in public. They're on the street. Went down to the nut orchard to find him. And she found him. And she said, I'm here. 
And what did he say? Oh, turn your face away from me. I love you so much. I was hoping you'd find me, honey. I was missing you. I wanted to open the door, but I was so scared, so I didn't. And she said, that was okay. I wish you would have. I'm so sorry. And then they begin to want one another right then and there. I adjure you, though. We're in public. We should not do this. It is not appropriate to stir up love of one another and those who are in the street as well. But, and then you see the story go on, I can take you somewhere, is what he says. It's just the reality of the love story. But you see here, when is intimacy appropriate? That question is answered when you look through these phrases. I adjure you, O daughters of Jerusalem. All of this plays out in a grand song. It's a song. It is difficult to interpret. That reality is true, but it's a love song. It is explicit. You need not shy away from that because God does not shy away from that. God gives us such things, and we know because of what Jesus himself has said that this book is not only uh, some, you know, uh, bottom shelf kind of gas station smut or something like that. Uh, The reality is, is that this is revealing biblical Uh, uh, and beautiful intimacy within a relationship, the appropriateness, and when these things are to take place, and because of what we see our Lord Jesus saying, that in and of itself reveals Jesus Christ's love for the church and how we are to sacrifice all, how we are to choose all, how she is to submit. All of these things, as you see within Scripture, it plays out within this grand song of songs. That's what I got. What questions do you have? <laughs> if any. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for all of Scripture. We thank you for the Song of Songs and for the revelation of your love for us. And yet, Father, also for the very true and applicable revelation of how it is we are to uh, seek relationships well, uh, how intimacy is meant to be played out. And Father, in it all, Lord, we know that Jesus is revealed because we see in your scripture time and time again that there is more to the things that we do, that there is a revealing of the gospel in all that we do. And so, Lord, even as we see the mystery, the profound mystery of Christ in the church within groom and bride, Lord, I pray that we would be ready uh, with the gospel on the tips of our tongue to share with all of those who would question why it is we live the way we do after you. In Jesus' name, amen.